Section 8 of The Underground Railroad, Part 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. The Underground Railroad, Part 4, by William Still. Section 8. Arrival from Maryland. Birthday present from Thomas Garrett. Wilmington, 8th month, 21st, 1858. Esteemed friend, William Still. This is my 69th birthday, and I do not know any better way to celebrate it in a way to accord with my feelings than to send to thee two fugitives man and wife the man has been here a week waiting for his wife who is expected in time to have at nine this evening in the cars for thy house with a pilot who knows where thee lives but i cannot help but feel some anxiety about the woman as there is great commotion just now in the neighborhood where she resides there were four slaves betrayed near the maryland line by a colored man named jesse perry a few nights since one of them made a confidant of him and he agreed to pilot them on their way and had several white men secreted to take them as soon as they got in his house he is the scoundrel that was to have charge of the seven i wrote you about two weeks since their master was to take or send them there and he wanted me to send for them i have since been confirmed it was a trap set to catch one of our colored men and me likewise but it was no go i suspected him from the first but afterwards was fully confirmed in my suspicions we have found the two rust boys john and elsie bradley who the villain of a bust took out of jail and sold to a trader of the name of morris who sold them to a trader who took them to richmond virginia where they were sold at public sale two days before we found them for twenty six hundred dollars but fortunately the man had not paid for them our attorney had them by habeas corpus before a judge who detained them till we can prove their identity and freedom they are to have a hearing on second day next when we hope to have a person on there to prove them in haste thine thomas garrett unfortunately all the notice that the record contains of the two passengers referred to is in the following words two cases not written out for want of time the boys alluded to as having been found etc were free-born but had been kidnapped and carried south and sold three days after the above letter the watchful garrett furnished further light touching the hairbreadth escape of the two that he had written about and at the same time gave an interesting account of the efforts which were made to save the poor kidnapped boys etc second letter from thomas garrett wilmington eighth month twenty fifth eighteen fifty eight esteemed friend william still thine was received yesterday those two i wrote about to be with thee last seventh day evening i presume thee has seen before this a allen had charge of them he had them kept out of sight at the depot here till the car should be ready to start in charge of a friend 
while he kept a lookout and got a ticket. When the Delaware cars arrived, who should step out but the master of both man and woman, as they had belonged to different persons? They knew him, and he knew them. He left in a different direction from where they were secreted, and got round to them, and hurried them off to a place of safety, as he was afraid to take them home for fear they would search the house. On first day morning the boat ran to Chester to take our colored people to the camp at Media. He had them disguised, and got them in the crowd, and went with them. When he got to Media, he placed them in care of a colored man, who promised to hand them over to thee on second day last. We expect three more next seventh day night, but how we shall dispose of them we have not yet determined. It will depend on circumstances. Judge Layton had been on with a friend to Richmond, Virginia, and fully identified the two Bradley boys that were kidnapped by Clem Rust. He has the assurance of the judge there that they will be tried and their case decided by Delaware laws, by which they must be declared free and returned here. We hope to be able to bring such proof against both Rust and the man he sold them to, who took them out of the state, to teach them a lesson they will remember. Thy friend, Thomas Garrett. Arrival from the District of Columbia, 1858. Rebecca Jackson and daughter and Robert Shorter. The road to Washington was doing about this time a marvelously large business. William Penn and other friends in Washington were most vigilant and knew where to find passengers who were daily thirsting for deliverance. Rebecca Jackson was a woman of about thirty-seven years of age, of a yellow color, and of bright intellect, prepossessing in her manners. She had pined in bondage in Georgetown under Mrs. Margaret Dick, a lady of wealth, and far advanced in life, a firm believer in slavery, and the Presbyterian Church, of which she was a member. Rebecca had been her chief attendant, knew all her whims and ways to perfection. According to Rebecca's idea, she was a peevish, fretful, ill-natured, but kind-hearted creature, being very tired of her old mistress and heartily sick of bondage, and withal desiring to save her daughter. She ascertained the doings of the Underground Railroad, was told about Canada, etc. She therefore resolved to make a bold adventure. Mrs. Dick had resided a long time in Georgetown, but owned three large plantations in the country, over which she kept three overseers to look after the slaves. Rebecca had a free husband, but she was not free to serve him, as she had to be digging day and night for the white people. Robert, a son of the mistress, lived with his mother, while Rebecca regarded him as a man with a very evil disposition. She nevertheless believed that he had some sense enough to see that the present generation of slaves would not bear so much as slaves had been made to bear the generation past. Arrival from Honeybrook Township, 1858. Frank Campbell. Frank was a man of blunt features, rather stout, almost jet black, and about medium height and weight. He was not certain about his age, rather thought that he was between thirty and forty years. He had been deprived of learning to read or write, but with hard treatment he had been made fully acquainted under a man named Henry Campbell, who called himself Frank's master, and without his consent managed to profit by his daily sweat and toil. This Campbell was a farmer, and was said to be the owner of about one hundred head of slaves. 
besides having large investments in the other directions. He did not hesitate to sell slaves, if he could get his price. Every now and then, one and another would find it his turn to be sold. Frank resolved to try and get out of danger before times were worse, so he struck out resolutely for freedom and succeeded. End of Section 8 Recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida